I've spoken to Carl many times. I know you've been super preoccupied with coaching. You're very established in this industry. You've been doing this a long time. And do you see yourself being a coach continually through the next years to come? Or are you curious and interested in a whole bunch of other things that you want to try as well in this life? Um, to be honest, mate, it's a bit of both. I, I, I don't ever see myself not coaching. Um, I think um, it's probably a tough thing um, for me not to not to be coaching, not to be working with with uh, with athletes because that's at the end of the day that's what I love doing and that's what I'll always love doing. Um, there's certainly some some bigger fish that we're trying to um, cook up at the moment, and then and certainly trying to uh, um, share the the time around a little bit more and be more efficient with things. Um, obviously, um, building a really good team around me, a really good team of coaches um, that can manage a lot of things. But um, but ultimately. Uh, I don't think there'll ever be a time where I don't have athletes that I'm, I'm coaching, but it certainly may shift to doing a lot less um, hours on the floor and probably more um, sort of, you know, flying in, flying out a little bit more um, as things start to get a bit bigger. But, but ultimately, mate, it's, it's, I love doing it. Like at the moment now, if you speak to any of my coaches, they'll, if we've got quieter sessions, I'll step off the floor and, and try and try and get some other work done and stuff like that. But, but always ultimately touch base on the floor and make sure that all the athletes are good and, and stuff like that. It's, it's, um, I think, especially if I'm always going to be based in a facility, there's always going to be that attribute. I'm always going to want to be on the floor and catch up with athletes and, and program for athletes and coach athletes and stuff like that. So um, I certainly see that role minimising a little bit um, to, to free up areas. But yeah, look, mate, ask me in maybe another 10 years, I might say something different. But, uh, but I certainly, yeah, I certainly don't see myself not coaching because I also know when I don't coach... Um, that's, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of the ideas that I I present on, a lot of the things that I do, a lot of the stuff that that I try and implement with my staff and my coaches and stuff, it comes from from coaching. Like, if I'm not coaching, then I never present. I'm never presented with problems that I need to solve. I'm never I'm never presented with ideas that that I can use. So, um, you know, if I'm if I'm sitting down and, and certainly going through the the business side of things more these days. Um, but if I'm always doing that, then then I'll certainly shift away from from what what I'm good at, to be honest. And um, and the the addition of having Carl uh, next to me as as my business partner means that um, that it it certainly allows me to to continue to coach because he can continue to evolve um, more of the the business structures and ideas. Uh, obviously, we always do a lot of things together and talk about everything and are across everything, but. Um, but people out there that are, that are coaching and running a business know it's two separate energies. It's mm. two different different mindsets. It's two different um, um, conceptual things that you need to, to build and work on. They, they certainly don't cross over uh, that much when it comes to, to planning. So, um, so being able to have that separation has been really good for us, I think. How do, you, how do you then separate? Yeah, how do you separate it? Is it like pure delegation where, you know, Carl does what he's great at? And you know, he'll still teach and things, but you've delegated that role mostly to him and other people? Or is it just a different delineation of your time? Like this goes here on this day, this goes here on another day? Yeah, I don't think it's like uh, as hard a delegation as that. Like at the end of the day, it's I coach and, and Carl does business management. They're, they're the two areas. That doesn't mean we don't 
cross over and help things and do things. We, you know, we've got a lot of things in the pipeline now where something will pop up and, and I'll chase something up that's not coaching. Um, and then there's other things where Carl will be walking through the floor to chat with someone and one of our junior athletes is, is doing something wrong and he'll just grab them and, and you know, help them. So um, it, it's certainly, certainly not that like, you know, you stay in the office, I stay on the gym floor type uh, of thing. But uh, but ultimately, yeah, that it is when it comes to like, you know, Carl won't program for anyone, whereas I do the programming with our coaches. When I meet about programming and coaching, I meet with, with my coaches, there's no need for Carl to be there. Um, the same side of it when, you know, Carl's doing his business mentorship with with different uh, different coaches out there, I'm not involved in that. I don't hang around that. I don't come into it. That's, you know, he's, he's running his business mentorship. And, and then, uh, the other side of it is, yeah, when we meet with our accountant, we both meet with our accountant. When we meet with some business side of it, we both meet with them. It's, it's certainly uh, a dual role there, but we we kind of, um, we kind of just know what what each other's strengths are and and who takes care of what. How did when you first began that relationship and that kind of beginning of athletes' authority, like if you, because so many people they start businesses themselves or with other people. What would you tell them starting out that you and Carl have established now to be such a well-functioning, well-structured organization and relationship that you kind of wish you knew or other people are making common mistakes with? Um, I think I've probably said it before, but for, for me, the, the the thing that makes myself and Carl work so well is because we are very different. Um, mm. A lot of people sort of talk about, oh, you you you've got to you know, have a strong relationship with your business partner and connect and everything like that. And don't get me wrong, we certainly have a strong relationship, we do connect, but, but we are very different, like very different in a lot of ways, um, which is what makes us uh, so strong. Um, because like, for example, if I was to start a gym, the, the chances of me starting a gym with someone that um, is identical to me mm. is very high. Um, yeah, I might be a PT, might be a coach, I might be at a, a club where I'm working with an assistant that has a similar values as me. It might be on you know, fitness first on the gym floor and I connect with another PT really well. And, you know, geez, we, we both love um, you know, Franz Bosch or Poliquin or how good is this? We chat about that and then we start going, oh, let's have a beer or yeah, favorite pub together. We both like, like all these things start to connect and before you know it, you've connected with this person so well, like this guy, that's great. And the only thing is, it's just a mirror image of yourself. So of course you love them, and of course you're going to connect with them because you it's just love yourself. Exactly, exactly. It's easy. It's easy going, and then you go, well, we'd be great to make a business together because we we work so well. We're on the same wavelength. We think the same. We have the same. Like these type of things are probably, um, uh, I suppose, uh, a knife in disguise when you connect on so much and you are so identical that you actually create that tiny mini echo chamber of just you two always agreeing and always going, this is where we need to be and stuff like that. And um, ultimately when it comes to push comes to shove, you've, you've got the same weaknesses and you've, you've got the same blind spots. You've got all these things that, that you've got no one there that's telling you the opposite. Um, I think with me and Carl, the, the key with us is we both share similar values and similar visions, um, but we certainly don't share similar ideas on everything. Um, there's a lot of things that, that, that we differ on, um, from fashion sense all the way through, all the way through to uh, you know business decisions, and that's what you need because ultimately you need to you need to be going toe to toe with each other to get the best result. Because um, there's things I would never have done um, that has worked really well. And like I'm what? sure. Do you might actually mind mentioning something because that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, one, a lot of the um, our I suppose views on the way we stand up for for different whether you want to call it political views or um, 
um, uh, industry views and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Carl's really good at articulating and stuff that, that we go to and from. And probably the other way, if, if, if Carl had his way, then um, he'd probably be, um, you know, sending a lot of posts on, you know, US elections and stuff that's happening in China, all sorts of things. But he doesn't. But we do find a good balance of, of what we fight for and what we stand up for and believe in. Um, I think there's the other part of it, you know, when it comes to even, even a lot of mentorship things and, and content stuff that I just would never have done um, if Carl hadn't have had hadn't have been there and said, no, nah, it doesn't need to be like this. Let's just get this out or do this, um, it, which is yeah a big area. And then vice versa when it comes to um, just different uh, systematic structures on the gym floor, our coaching, uh, programming. Um, if if it wasn't me, then then it wouldn't have been like that. Um, so there's certainly areas where where we we complement each other because we are quite different um, and we do discuss things and you know i want one way he wants the other and ultimately we meet in the middle and, and it actually works really well because we've got a bit of bit of both um and it's i think it's a, an area that um, that has been really good for us because it, it keeps us honest and it keeps us probably accountable to each other and um you asked yeah what what would i have known that i didn't know previously that could have helped and i don't think i didn't know this but um, I think if someone's going into a business relationship, um, the best thing about myself and Carl is we can go toe to toe at each other about things, argue, um, get heated, and it doesn't change anything because we know it's it's just it's just a discussion. You know, we've we've blown up about a couple of things here and there, and um, and it, it is what it is. But that's what gets the best result. That's what gets us um, going in the right direction because we've, we've vetted anything that comes out that people see publicly has already been vetted by ourselves going back and forth with each other. Um, so, you know, it, it ultimately gives the best product in my opinion. When you have those moments, when those conflicts, the medium size and the explosion size, how do you guys resolve it? Like what is the conflict resolution process that you guys like, not unconsciously probably go through in your brain to meet at a middle ground to be brutally honest there is none when the conversation ends we we know that's the end of it we 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 certainly don't carry anything on um and we we will argue till we come to a to a conclusion right. um and sometimes he wins sometimes i win sometimes we're in the middle i don't it's certainly not a a, a conscious process or an unconscious process, I guess, that we go through. But I, I think the key to the conclusion is knowing that that it doesn't move forward from where we're at. If uh, if the kind of our know, recent conversation was about um, about uh, about gear, about our our like apparel, um, and we had a big blow up about things. And at the end of the day, that it's it's about that. That's all it is. Once that finishes. Yeah, we've got another issue we go on about and you know, our personalities change. It's not like a, uh, so, you know, a relationship with your, your wife or your, your partner where things can sometimes drag out into the night and in the morning and, and stuff like that. It's just, it is what it is. And we know it's nothing personal. It's just making sure that we get the best result. Hmm. Like, okay, that's interesting. So it's no real strategy. I'm trying to piece apart like how another coach or person could take that. But it sounds like you guys have detached a bit of your own ego from it or try to at least and just see the problem as it is instead of putting yourself or your own personality and taking things personally yeah well it's it's, it's it is it's one of the things that is like you know at the end like nothing that we do is personal there's certainly things that 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 you can interpret as being personal but i think especially in our industry a lot of co like for example like a coach can use a method 
And then someone says, oh, I don't like that method. Sure. And for some reason, that coach feels like they've attacked their family. Yes. Like, well, it's, yeah, it, it's not that. So at the end of the day, like when, when you put that coach that meets a similar coach on the gym floor and says, let's start a business. And then they both go toe to toe about something that has absolutely nothing to do with them personally, but they're taking it personally. It's never going to be successful. It's never going to produce the best quality content or business structure or coaching or anything like that. Um, and that's the, like our, if you ask any one of our athletes, to be honest, even an athlete that joined us three weeks ago, they will go straight away. They know, they, they can tell you straight away that me and Carl are completely different people, mm. but that's, that's the benefit to it. That's, you know, we, we have that balance of yin and yang that allows you know, us to be able to, to maximize everything we do, go toe to toe with everything we do, but also know that it is, it is not anything against that person it mm. is simply a contextual component but um i think it also takes i don't know how you say it, you might say it might take age it might take experience it might take mentality to to be like that but but ultimately um it's uh, in my belief from a business standpoint it's the way you've got to go and if you've ever worked with head coaches before that's how a lot of head coaches are you know they see something they call it out the you know the next 10 minutes is completely something different you know at, at Parramatta Brad Arthur was a great example he'd, he'd come in he'd fire things left right and center attack people for this for that and then that was it that was the end of it you know he, once he'd said it he'd said it there's no need to dwell on it you move on and the next conversation is a completely different conversation but for him that's how he got things out you know he would see things he would say it he'd move on um other people dwell on things and I, I personally i can't stand that i like that's again what carl and myself do really well as soon as we see it we we call it out it's mm. it is a it is a, a an area that when you start dwelling on things people start to become passive aggressive mm. um, people start to do things and, and start to resent others and mm. mate, it, it's a big area and we try to instill that in our coaches as well the people that work for us that um <clears throat> if there's something there Call it out. Is there something you don't agree with? Even little things like, yeah, you know, we've got a, a physio, Justin, uh, that is messy as all hell. And I, I'm happy to say that publicly because he knows it. And he leaves a, he'll leave a coffee, cops, go, a coffee cup somewhere. And straight away, I, I get it out of you, mate. It can't be here. You know? And that's the type of thing that if it starts to build up, then people build resentment and people build anger towards it rather than just, mate, this is, this is the standards. This is what happens. So, so how, that's, that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. How do you... How do you then create that when you work with a team of people? How do you create that a culture that is effective and everyone is on the same page? They're all, I mean, it's not always going to be the case, but how do you keep those standards across the board consistent among all the people you work with? It's always hard. It's, um, it's about everyone being accountable. And, and what I mean by that is it means that you know, if Carl's messy, yeah. one of our coaches can call him out. Like just, just because. You know, we're the ones that pay the bills and, and pay the wages. It doesn't remove us from being held accountable. Hmm. Um, and that's that's the, the difference with it. It's it's making sure that it's an environment where people know, like, I mean, I would be shocked if my coaches said anything different, but if one of my coaches took the piss out of me, it doesn't change anything. You know, it's not like, you know, it's it's still funny whether I said it or they said it. It's, you know, you, they have the freedom to, to be able to to be like that and feel comfortable to be able to speak their mind, be who they are, and and also on top of that, call people out for things that are not to standard. And probably the it's probably a, a long way around, but the best way to keep standards is to hire correctly. Um, it, I, I hate advertising for assistant roles or senior roles because I haven't vetted them, and I, I don't I don't like committing to someone that I haven't seen under pressure in action, getting up early, staying up late, 
you know, trying to get to work when they're sick, all these type of things. Like that's, you gotta be able to see that before you hire, which is why I value our intern program so much. And, um, you know, we've just, uh, we've just literally this week where we're transitioning to last week for three of our interns and, and the first week for another intake of our interns. And, and of the three interns that are graduating this week, one is coming on board uh, as physio and uh, head of performance for one of our AFL teams that we're associated with. The other one's coming on board as one of our, our coaches within our ADP program, plus a uh, lead with one of the female AFL programs that we work with. Um, and then our third one is also doing exercise physiology work for us. So we've got a couple of EP clients that he's gonna take on board. Um, and that's because we've seen them under pressure over the past six months. We've seen them on the gym floor that they know our systems, they know our standards. So when we bring them on, it's not about, um, as you said, how do you hold people to standards? How do you get them to, you know, to, to align with your standards? It's about finding the people that share the same standards right. as you because at the end of the day, you can't really change people. I'm not a massive believer in that you can really change people. You can certainly tweak things, um, uh, ride the wave of maturity. As people mature, they change, and you just don't know which way that's going to go. Um, but obviously, you're hoping as people get more mature. So you might get a, a young coach that's 21, um, and they're a bit lazy with standards, and they, they might not value um, you know some things and over a five-year period they evolve and mature and learn lessons that ultimately allow them to value that but um, there's certain people mate to be honest like as an example if I hire someone who's messy they're probably still going to be messy in five years you know it's you can you can try and get them to be more accountable with things but but ultimately people sometimes are just just who they are um, they're those innate traits so for me i think the the way we align with standards is, is about how you hire and who you bring on um and there's there's certain people that you run that like you know there's certain people that 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 tick a lot of boxes and there might be one box that you can accept to to deal with and manage because it may not be as high up on the totem pole and you value something else sure. and that's what brings your your group dynamics everyone's going to be a little bit different they're not all clones but um, you, you're certainly probably pushing shit uphill, I reckon, if if you're hiring people that just are far removed from the values and the standards that you hold dear, thinking in a couple of months you'll be able to suddenly change these people into the person you want. But that's so important though, right? Because how many of us, and this is not just coaches, but human beings, do we try, like relationships, romantic or not, we try and even the ideas, like we might have an idea, like this is the way to live, this principle, this idea... Um, nutrition, religion, whatever. And we try and convert people. Mm. We try and get people onto our side. Even like you guys, Athlete Dominant Center. But it's going to be a lot more effective for you if you communicate with athletes who are already bought into the idea of strength and conditioning, right? No, 100%. How do you... So, I just wanted to highlight that such an important point. But then you said key, you have this key criteria for coaches. Yeah, this creed criteria that uh, you just mentioned very briefly, um, the stay up late, you know, you want to see how they are under pressure. If you had like, um, I like using the word pillars, if you had like foundational principles and pillars for these coaches, things that are like ideal, mandatory, expected, ideal characteristics of a coach that you guys look for and you look for, what would they be? Yeah, I think it's like this. How long's your list? There's a fair few things there that start to roll in. But if you're trying to separate them, a couple of things that probably stand out for me are one is attention to detail. Um, that includes punctuality. That includes the way they look when they dress, that they keep themselves and hold themselves um, with respect. Um, 
And that doesn't mean everyone's perfect. Um, you know, one of our interns currently, the, the first feedback I gave him is that the way he holds his posture is not something that's going to command authority on a gym floor. Um, folds arms, slouches, leans on things and stuff like that. So straight away, it's something he's got to work on, mm. um, which he's been doing a fantastic job with. Um, so things like that, that um, for me, that attention to detail then transfers over to, you know, programming wise. How, how do, do they do they review their programs? Do they check reps and sets? Do they check the percentages that they've set? Do they write something, then reread it? Um, with emails coming through, are there spelling mistakes? Have they missed words with like little things like that, ensuring that they're, they're sending things out publicly that, that have been vetted by themselves, re-looked re at. And people don't just rely on this um, you know, quick answer to something and then put it out into the world without reviewing. Um, next part would be their energy. So realistically, we, we want people that have a good energy. Now, not everyone's gonna be extroverted, um, but they certainly need to be able to switch on energy when they need it. Because ultimately, on a gym floor and anything like that, we need them to be able to bring energy, bring enthusiasm, and that doesn't necessarily mean be loud, but I think we can all tell when someone's flat and someone's not flat, even if they're not saying anything, you can, you can sense that. So having people that present with energy and when we're interviewing for interns, that's one of the biggest ones because I, I can't really teach that, unfortunately. Yeah. That, that's something that, that you, you kind of need to bring or you don't bring. If someone comes in um, and has no idea how to coach a squat, I can teach that, yeah. that's the easy part. But if someone comes in, um, has zero attention to detail, looks disheveled and has no energy, they're three things that's gonna be very hard for me for me to teach. Um, so that's where we talk about accountability and standards. They're, they're lining up with our standards. That's what we believe in. We want people to present like that. So they're the, the, probably the first key pillars. But then we one of the big ones is looking for people that understand that to get to where they want to go is is hard work and they have to put in hard work things don't come to them in this, in this day and age people double click on something they select something they push order and, and get a three-hour turnaround on delivery like everything's so instantaneous these days that it's it's probably hard to, to shift that mentality from some people um and i think it's really important to make sure that when when we're bringing people on those pillars those standards are that that for any change any results you've got to put in the work um and that doesn't mean um just turning up and that's it it means turning up committing to doing things pushing yourself further having goals targets things like that to work on so we want to look for those life learners that understand that um you know they need to do the extras to start pushing through um and people that just just get things done and make it happen when you say oh do you mind grabbing this or doing this it's straight away yeah no worries rather than oh let me just like all these sort of arms and R's and butts are the things that you, you just don't want to see from people that you're looking to bring into your staff for your standards. We, we need to have people that, that that are willing to just do what they need to do. And when I say willing to do what they need to do, it's not like, oh, can you, you scrub everyone's shoes or anything? It's 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 senior roles. It's like, you know, we make sure we get testing for this athlete. And yeah, I've, I've got interns now and coaches now, they're like, 100%, you need me to add this. Do you want me to grab this or do this? You know, like, how good's this versus Others that just sort of do the bare minimum or oh, I can't can't quite make it in at that time because it means that I'm gonna have to you know, move move the, the train only leaves at 6.20, so I mean I have to get on a 605 train. And you're like, I, I don't wanna hear all of these barriers and these problems. I, I wanna see how you can action and do it. And like I said, that doesn't mean we're gonna put them through the ringer every day. It's just that type of energy and that type of commitment you can feel from someone very quickly. Uh, and that's what we want. They're, they're the the, the underlying pillars of what we look for in our in our intern group because ultimately they become our staff 
And the ones that become our staff are the ones that have really maximized those pillars, but then have the ability to add on top of that. And what I mean, that, that might be, you know, someone might have really good pillars, you know, uh, intern A, intern B, very similar, but intern B has the intelligent capacity to take on more of the methods, more of the systems, is more creative with program design, is these type of things that layer on to, to have a good coach turn into a great coach, and ultimately they're gonna, they're gonna stand above, above the rest. Um, but we don't know that until we put them through the intern program and see who, who steps up. And, and sometimes you know, people that, um, that, that you don't expect are the ones that step up. But I think if, if you're always hiring from an intern standpoint off those sort of grounding pillars that are very hard to coach, um, then that's where the fun happens because you sit back and, and see who absorbs what, what you're teaching and how you're putting them through and who steps up at the right time. So. That five minutes right there for anybody who works at Athletes Authority. That's the uh, they better watch that one right there. That's oh, the- sorry, mate. Give me two seconds. My little vacuum robot's just kicked in. I'm gonna have to turn him off. Hang on. <laughs> vacuum robot. I don't think we've ever experienced that before on any podcast. <laughs> vacuum robot. Yeah, my vacuum robot. You know, I gotta turn mine on. I don't have it though. So that's uh, Athletes Authority. Sorry, mate. If uh, if anyone has animals, I can't recommend the old Samsung uh, vacuum robot. They're forever. actually uh, they're good. Oh, unbelievable! Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Actually, take a lot of time. Well, that's not okay. That's a, that's a really good. Okay. What? Is, what is it? Do you actually know the model? Because I'm all about time. Oh, I wouldn't have a clue. Would not have a clue. What? Sam okay. Samsung Samsung something. <laughs> I don't think I think they only make two different. There's a big. There's a, the big one and the small one. Okay. Yeah, the big one. I was going to go somewhere else, but now I'm thinking uh, systems and automation. Okay. We all have a finite amount of time in the day. We want to spend that valuable in how we want to. And what, like, you don't need to, if you can mitigate an hour of vacuum cleaning a week, that's 365 hours a a year. That's huge, right? Now you can do some other shit you want to do. What? are the big systems and time-saving habits you've created in your life personally, and you know you can talk about the gym too, that you value the most or, or you wish you had earlier even? Yeah. Oh, how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? There's got like- Big ones, it, big, biggest bang for buck. Yeah, realistically, I am a, I'm a big believer like when in doubt, refer out as they say. Um, and I do, for me, from a systemized point of view, uh, programming structures is massive for me. And what I've obviously evolved in over team sport environment and now in a, in a obviously a private sector, building out a systemized approach to the way we program is a big area. And it's not only um, big for my time saving efforts, it's also to be able to um, allow us to maximize our coaches time um, because ultimately it, in our environment, we have a coach that then also has a specific number of athletes that they manage. Um, if it takes an hour a week to manage one program mm. um, and we give them 40 athletes, that's 40 hours. Um, so straight away, we start to get limited. If we can cut that management time to 30 minutes, uh, then suddenly, then instead of 40 hours, we've halved it, so it's down to 20 hours for 40 athletes. So by the same premise, you could then, they could manage 80 athletes. Obviously it doesn't quite work exactly like that, but that's where we head. We wanna make sure that we can obviously get our coaches on the floor to coach, but we also don't wanna be limited by, oh, 
you know, they've, they've already hit their, their maximum athlete uh, tally. So we need, to, we need to get another staff member, which obviously costs us more money. Then we've got to find time to get them on the floor. Um, obviously, we, we don't have um, coaches programming for athletes when they're not getting floor hours because they never see their own athletes. So um, we, we've set up a pretty detailed uh, systematic programming structure that, that involves me writing um, the, the base programs for all of our sports. Um, and they filter down to my coaches and then my coaches edit based on individual positions or sports or injuries or anything like that. So it allows the coaches and frees up the coaches time um, and allows them to just focus on the slight nuances for their athlete rather than having to think through big blocks or large blocks of training where they have to plan everything out. Um, so that's something I do uh, to save them time, but also it saves me time as well because for my athletes, it's the same. It means that you know, every five weeks I'll, I'll manage the, the larger programs, set them into our program software, and then that goes down to all the, all the athletes to allow my, my coaches to edit and allow me to edit. So when I'm editing my, my athletes' programs, I've already got those, those base programs ready to go. So it makes my time a lot easier. I think um, that, that, I want to pause on that one. That, I think it's such a huge one because we think we take it as a i used to take it as a pride of uh like pride it's like oh i took a long time to write a program i heard joe defranco talk one time on a podcast he could take 45 to 60 minutes to write a program for some of his well-established elite athletes and i thought wow okay he's taking a lot of time and care but it's not very efficient and it can be done more effectively i think especially when i have these conversations so do you plan to make that publicly available to people or is that very insular that's only athletes authority coaches it's a great question it depends if people want it or not um no it's like look we're we're, we're not uh we're not known for our secrets um we most of the stuff we do we make public and it's certainly not a secret I'm, I'm more than happy to share it but um it is it's there's no doubt like that's not to say that Programs don't take time because I, I firmly believe that sometimes programs take time. And when people look at programs, some coaches or athletes look at a program and you see six exercises, um, people are like, okay, well, how, how long did that really take to write those six exercises? And it's not how long it takes to write the six exercises. No. It's how long it takes for you to argue with yourself why you haven't put in 20 other exercises. Um, and for me, that's what I find with writing the base program. So when I write the programs, obviously, it's, it's based on, on the, the sport. So for example, our, one of our major ones is field. So if you compete on a field, then that is a base program, whether that is a, uh, an AFL field, a soccer field, a rugby field, obviously they're all football codes, but even cricket, baseball, you're still implementing force into the ground that is grass, dirt, anything like that. So that creates what we're gonna be based that program on. Uh, in season, out of season is obviously one of your major differentials on that as well. Um, so. If I'm writing that out, when I'm starting to put stuff in, I'm still going to sit there and go, okay, well, um, you know, what do I need to do? I, I really want a little bit more of a knee dominant movement here, okay, but in season, so I don't really want a lot of concentric load. So trap bar deadlift could be an option. Well, let's put that there. But trap bar deadlift, how many trap bars do I have? If everyone's rolling through that, do I have enough to put there? So you start building these little arguments and going back and forth. You go, well, how about we look at maybe a box squat because. You know, they've, they've actually done some trap bar deads for a while. I, I feel like their backs are starting to tighten up. Maybe I rotate to a, a back squat. These things start to evolve in your mind and you staring at a screen of one exercise is what takes the most amount of time. Um, so what I've tried to do is, for me, I've tried to absorb that for my coaches because the initial base program is what gives you a lot of those arguments. Once you've got it there, 
my coaches, when they go through, they then do what we term extensions. So they'll add extensions um, to a program. So for example, if I've written a field sport program, um, then it flows down to my, my one of my coaches and he has a baseballer. So with a baseball, they're going to have an extension of swinging and throwing. So they're the two extensions that will go into the program. So within our program sequence, they know exactly what exercises to remove. So we have an A sequence, B sequence, C sequence. Any extensions will go B2, C1, C2. So those exercises, the three exercises, they know that they can rotate out. So now they only have three exercises to look at and decide whether those three exercises are going to be effective for their baseballer. So then they go, right, B2. What's Lockie got put? Lockie's put an overhead press. Okay. Well, that's handy, but my baseball is a pitcher. So I actually don't want to really overload it. He's in season. So I'm going to rotate that out and I'm actually going to supplement that in for something a little bit more shoulder health. So instead we might be doing a, a, a kettlebell armbar. So that goes in. Boom. That was an easy one because he didn't need to argue with anything. He doesn't have this just blank piece of paper not knowing. He knows exactly what he's changing and what he's going to put in there. So the next one goes, okay, so I've, I've taken care of the shoulder health. Now, from a rotational point of view, Lockie here, he's put a, let's say a suitcase carry. Okay, fantastic for, for that oblique sling, good mid-session, but I've done a lot of anti-rotation with this baseball, the last block, so I need to, I really want to try and find some rotational power. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to chop that out and I'm going to put a med ball throw in there. Perfect, boom. So suddenly it takes a lot quicker for them to decide whether their request is to match the single exercise I have there versus this plethora of exercises on an empty page that can sometimes take the longest. That's what takes a long time, sitting there deciding and arguing how you're going to lay it out and what you're going to put in. Um, as you get older, you get better at that because I think Mike Boyle probably says it best that the the uh, the more you know, the uh, the less options there are, um, and I think that's a key thing to understand that um, you know as you get older and as you, you start to become a more efficient coach, you start to see what things work well and what things don't, um, and the the other part of it is you're starting to go well, you know someone proved to me that I wouldn't put this exercise in because I just, I can't think of a better exercise for what I want to get out of it. Uh, versus when you're a young coach and you've got a thousand exercises to choose from, that's what takes your time up. Um, I reckon I'll probably often sit there going far out. It's, uh, I've, I've done this for 12 weeks now and the goals I want out of this block, this exercise still ticks those boxes. So maybe I keep it in, you know, like, so you start arguing with yourself going and at the end of the day, your athlete doesn't care as much mm. because everything else rotates around you can stimulate but you're like you know what we could actually roll this again it's still going to be just as effective for what i want i'm all, all i'm changing is speeds reps sets whatever it might be um so yeah to answer your question probably from back five minutes ago um i think the the idea behind sharing that system i'm more than happy to do it and to be honest i might even do a, a little webinar um for it as well so people can get an understanding of the concept yeah. um because it is a, it's a it's a it is a system that we've built out um, for a while now that, that certainly has been um, tested and, and starting to really hold up with, with the number of athletes we have, especially you know, our athlete total is, is close to doubled over the past four months. So um, that shows you that, that we can double our athletes and still, still continue to produce um, effective programs. Okay, um, do you guys have ones for uh, hypertrophy, just GPP, general physical preparedness, like Pat, like you know general population stuff we don't we don't have general population our five base programs are track um which is obviously track and field but also cycling so our cycling because of the concentric force production we include that under there we have um uh, ice water and snow 
Um, so that is obviously they don't have any traction to anything. They can't put their force into into much there. Um, so that's a different base program. Um, we have our field sport program. Uh, we have our court based program and we have our combative. So they're our five major base programs that we stem everything off. Um, within that, it depends whether it's in season, pre season, off season. So when we talk about GPP, so for example, my field based program, which I'm actually writing today that I need to get done for my coaches because they'll yell at me if it's not finished, uh, need to make sure that, that they are going into um, their, their current off season. So for them, they, they will start to breed a more GPP orientated program. So the GPP is not a base program. It is the the influence, or at least the the concept behind the current program with with a field sport athlete. Uh, and then we talk about things like hypertrophy. That'll be an extension. So if we've identified a, an athlete that needs hypertrophy, then they simply get a volume addition to their program. Got it. That's great. I'm going to email you personally about that later. I have another question <laughs> over the email. Um, but we're talking about like actually, I want to go one more on that. Not that specifically, but we mentioned that's one thing that you've systematized that has made your business and your coaching keeps more efficient. Is there anything else that comes to mind that you'd want to mention? Um, uh, well, to be honest, there's a, a number of little things. Like we've, we've sort of systemized our resilience programming. Um, so it removes, to be honest, most of the systems we build are to remove that stagnant decision-making I spoke about where you're sitting there with a, a plethora of ideas and not sure how to, to um, hone it down onto the program. So things like our resilience, we've, we've systemized, certainly we've systemized our plyometric training. So based on what our athletes are up to um, within phases, uh, so we know exactly what library of exercises that, that the, uh, the coaches will choose from for that to make sure that they evolve in the right direction. Um, you know, we, we, we're currently in the process of working around um, uh, trying to systemize our testing, our structure far more because we, we have systemized our blocks within our facility. We do five week blocks each week has a specific periodization theme. So again, our coaches don't need to overthink things. They can follow that periodization theme. Um, from that as well, we look at then our testing structure. We've systemized every five weeks. We roll in some testing options, which allow the program to continue to flow. We don't lose training time for testing. Um, so yeah, most of it is just an evolution of, of yeah from our programming structure, how we then systemize everything else, just to make sure that regardless of the number of athletes that come on board, regardless of the sports they're doing, our our systems don't change because ultimately our systems have built our culture, um, and that's the culture we want to keep. We we've, we you know back in the day there was a, an over exaggeration of individualization. Um, which I really don't like. I don't. I think the the concept of individualization is a little bit thrown around. Um, you, our programs are all individual to the athlete, based off their sport, their injury history, their position, and their needs. Hmm. Um, that doesn't mean we change the program for the sake of change. And a lot of stuff that I talk to my athletes about that, you know, if your program is completely different to the base program, it means that you're so far away from the ideal that it's probably going to hurt you long term. For me, if I've got a field-based program and I've decided that uh, elevated deadlift is the ideal exercise that I want to use at this time in their training block, and then I've decided to change that for an athlete, that means that they're one step away from what I've considered to be ideal. So as an athlete, technically, you kind of want to be as close to that uh, base program as possible because it means you don't really have any injuries. 
you, you're not thrown around by anything. You're not pulling up sore from different things. You're actually given the green light to do the full performance program. Now, we all know there's going to be different modifications here and there based off history. The older the athlete gets, the more modifications there's going to be. Um, but that's the thing that creates a lot of culture at our facility, that instead of everyone having a different A1 exercise and everyone on their phones looking at there or on the iPad, grabbing their different things, not talking, you know, someone's over there doing trap bar deadlift, other one's doing a, a jump squat, other one's doing a box squat, the other one's doing an elevated deadlift. Suddenly, no one's working with each other or talking. They're all doing a thousand different programs and exercises. So with this style and the way we set it up is it allows athletes to actually work together with some of their key lifts. So when we have a trap bar deadlift as a key lift, we might have five or six people in that group doing that trap bar deadlift. So guess what they do? They start to introduce themselves. They start to relate with each other and work with each other. Hmm. Um, I sort of joke to... Um, to Carl the other week that um, our culture is getting so good at the moment that it might be its own undoing because we have athletes now going on dates with each other, maybe sleeping with each other every now and then. And it's for me shows that we're getting close that people are actually forming bonds and interests and people are, you know, people have 21st birthdays and guess who half of the guest sides, other athletes that they train with, they don't even, they didn't know them before they came to athletes authority, but they, they now consider them close friends. And that's, that's what we want to build. We want to build a team away from their team. Or if they're an individual athlete, a team that they feel like they're a part of, and then they're not alone when they're training. They may have to go to the pool and be alone a little bit. They might have to go to combative things and be alone a bit. That's fine. But um, when they come to Athletes Authority, whether they're combative, basketball or tennis, whatever it is, um, they've got a team. Um, and as I said, that's what we like to see. I'll just make sure we don't have too many people uh, going on dates with each other and, and it not working out if it doesn't. But uh... You never know how it could uh, backfire because exactly. you created exactly. such a cohesive connection between everybody. But do you think you guys have created that environment as a result of the coaches and the leaders like you and Carl leading the way that these are the standards like it comes from the top down and so all the clients and athletes feel like you talk about energy of the coaches, you talk about certain standards. Do you think that's why the environment is the way it is with your athletes or something else as well? I actually think it's probably, it's got to, to build that, it's got to be top down and bottom up. And what I mean by that is top down, meaning of course, uh, myself and Carl need to need to be able to lead that. Our coaches need to be able to believe in it and lead that. Um, you need to build an environment that fosters that and that's, related to the way we connect with athletes, the way we talk to athletes, what we give pride to, what, how we program to allow athletes to, to work together and things like that. But it also is a matter of the athletes you're bringing in. Um, you know, early iterations of Athletes Authority, we would, we would kind of say yes to everyone. Um, and ultimately, we now know that that was one of the, the key reasons why we, we wouldn't form a culture as strong as we wanted. Um, now we're very picky. We, 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 we certainly don't bring everyone on. Um, and if for us, it's the, about making sure the athletes that are coming on are dedicated athletes. Um, and the ones, you know, if I've, got a, if I've got an elite athlete that's lifting, they don't want to lift next to someone that doesn't take it seriously. Um, that builds resentment, that builds annoyance, and that doesn't build culture. Uh, when we start to bring on athletes that align with the Sun Valley is very, very similar to our intern program. If, if we start to bring on athletes that, that align with the values that we're catering for, um, suddenly that culture evolves. Suddenly they start to build that, that, uh, that working habit, that 
um, that connection with each other that then continues to build the culture that we want. That, I don't know if people caught what you just said there, but you're essentially, you're, you've set the lines in the sand and standards where you've said no to business and money because there are more things that you've learned are important than that. Is that right? Uh, yes, but I'd argue that saying no actually says yes to, to more business and more money because you don't taint your product. Mm. Um, so it's long term. Like- Long-term exactly, thinking. Exactly. Like we, most of it, like we have a lot of referrals. And we, said, we say it all the time, we've got a pretty poor business model, to be honest, because if we're successful, our athletes get taken by the pros, so we lose them. Um, but also because of um, uh, our athletes believing the value that they get from us, they don't tell their other teammates because, or their other people they're competing with. So, you know, if we, if we get someone from a track and field team, wow, we, we don't get anyone else from that team because wow. the person doesn't want to spread the word. Now, there's examples of some of the younger kids that we do get and they hear about it and parents ask, well, what are they doing? And they give them referrals. But that's where we get our referrals from. Um, so it's sort of, it's a tough one because our athletes treat it as their little secret. Um, but we love that. So that's fine by us. But that's where, from our point of view, we, we, we don't want to ruin that. And if we start to water it down, then, then that's, that's the risk you take and you start to not be able to sell the product that, that you're so proud of. And that's exactly where we are exceptionally proud of the product we currently have. Um, and that's what we can, we can push to our athletes or new athletes coming on board. As soon as we start bringing people that don't align with, with the beliefs, um, mm. then, then it starts to go out the door. Yeah, it's, it's like a, I don't know, it's like a poison or it's like a little bit of like a coloring in water. It just slowly spreads. Yeah. Um, you said you uh, you guys doubled your athlete base or client base within like this year. So after COVID, yeah, yeah. So o- over COVID, we we'll, we actually increased our our athlete numbers because um, we had people approaching us and, and wanting to come on board during the COVID period, um, so we could look after them. And then they stayed on when when we reopened. And yeah, since since reopening, um, we've yeah we've. If you include COVID now, we're close to double what we had going into COVID, yeah. Okay, so many businesses suffering, but there's a couple and there's, there's quite a few like you guys who are doing the right things, the right systems, like culture, all these ticking boxes. But how, like, how did that happen? How, how did you guys get to that point where you can dub, almost double your client base in the middle of one of the hardest times in the 21st century? Um, <clears throat> I think... There's a, there's a couple of reasons that all go together. One, um, we, by coming back, all of our athletes, but also other athletes that really appreciate their training, understood um, how much they've missed having connection of coaches. Um, it made them appreciate the in-person, the team, the camaraderie that they didn't get. Yeah. Um, you know, every, there's certainly people out there, probably more general pop than athletes that um, have found a new love for training at home maybe, have found it easier than going to the gym and stuff like that. Um, but definitely with the athletes we've come across and from an athletic population, they have just absolutely hated not having people to train with, not having someone to push them to drive them. Um, so that's been a big part of it. Um, we, we also, from most of our stats, we kind of believe we've probably hit a bit of a critical mass as well yeah. of, uh, of people's awareness of us. Um, from, you know, we had, had a number of people that joined, a number of athletes that joined us. And look, COVID may have been that kick in the, kick in the bum for them to do it, but they sort of came to us and said, look, you know, we, we, 
I heard about you guys six months ago and then, you know, two weeks ago, another one of my friends was talking about you and I thought, geez, that's a sign to come. Um, and to be honest, we had a hell of a lot of that. Um, the other part of it is, is our evolution of our performance rehab department. So we now have three physios on board um, and the, the rehab that we've been doing and in particular the ACL stuff, it's funny, we, um, over the COVID period, myself, our two physios at the time sat down and built out what we consider to be the, the number one ACL protocol in the world. Um, we're obviously biased, uh, but it's, it is, you know, every single day, every single exercise, every single set, rep, every progression accounted for for nine months, written it out, all our exit criteria, everything just planned and mapped out perfectly. Um, obviously no rehab goes perfectly, but nonetheless, the templates there. Um, and from that, we said, right, we, we really need to, you know, we've, we've tested all of these methods and ideas separately, whether it be me in, in, in a sporting context, the other physios in their clinic or sporting context. And we grabbed all these ideas and amalgamated them together. And um, the old story of build it and they will come was certainly true with it because when we returned, um, we actually had one of our old athletes who did his ACL over the COVID period return to us. And we said, oh, great. You know, not great you did your ACL, but he's a day one athlete that we will start using this brand new ACL protocol with us that we've, we've amalgamated and, and let's go for it. And he's made so much progress. And he's now week 13, 14, 14. Um, and between him coming on board and now week 14 of his ACL, we have had close to 24 ACLs come on board. Um, most of them straight from surgery. Um, and these guys are, are ones that have heard about us, seen things on Instagram or, or content and said, you know, I just I had a previous ACL and the rehab was terrible or I've redone my ACL or I've just done my ACL and I want to make sure I do the right things. I want to make sure that it's done properly um, and I want to come to you guys and sign up nine month uh, rehabilitative process. It's a nine month contract. They're in the doors and, and away they go. So um, I think at the moment we're up to almost 30 ACLs that we're managing um, and that's just since the, the COVID period. Um, and like I said, it's, it's not because we've been advertising ACL. It's not anything to do with that. It's simply um, word starts to spread, surgeons start to hear, so we get more surgical um, uh, re references from that. And I think it's, it's one of those things that it is that critical mass. That the more people you start to influence, the more they start to talk about it. And, um, and yeah, it's simply how it's become. Nine-month contract. I know that's what you guys do at Athletes Authority. You do contracts with people. Um, I haven't gotten to details with it with you guys, um, and it's something that I've implemented over the last, I don't know, two years. But how do you guys structure it? And basically, you have a nine-month contract. One question is, if people pull out, because they might, and I'm sure it happens, what's the stakes? What's the accountability? Um like I think strength culture, they do like you have to pay a three hundred dollar thing if you leave before the three months. Um, and how do you have that conversation to establish long term thinking so they're more bought into the idea of like this is a nine month contract for my health and well being? Yep. So we we actually do twelve month contracts. The so nine month was only for ACL. So yeah. we have rehab rehab ones. Um, nine month is is sort of the minimum that we tend to do with our rehab stuff, yep. with exceptions. Um, but there's, yeah, so we do 12 months. Uh, we'll, I'll start with the performance side. We do 12 months for our ADP or our performance contracts. Um, we're big believers that at the end of the day, if you want to be an elite athlete, it's not a three-week commitment. It's not a four-month commitment. 
it is a long-term commitment that you're making. Um, that is was made very clear to them. And certainly if, if they're not prepared to make that commitment, um, then then that's a, a filter for us. We don't bring them on because historically we know the people that, that are not committed are the ones that don't bring the culture that we want. Um, and we put a lot of front end effort into setting up programs for testing, getting them going that we, we simply can't afford to put in the amount of effort we put in at the front end for them to then leave after three months. Um, obviously, we back ourselves in the say that we don't we, we don't want them to leave, but ultimately, you know, it's just what happens. People get flaky. People people lose drive. They lose enthusiasm for things. They move clubs or teams and stuff like that. Um, so for us, it is a twelve month contract or or find someone else. Um, not quite as aggressive as that, but just yeah, you know, it's, it's clear. probably not the right fit for you. Yeah. Um, but then the other part of it is making sure that um, yeah, a they're aware of that, but we've seen previously that the ones that that don't commit like that are the ones that that do they they they're flaky they they don't value what they're getting if they don't pay for it they don't commit to it um so we do put a lot of value on on what we charge and why we charge it long term because it does create much more sense of value to that person for their, their commitment um <clears throat> if they choose to leave now there's we're very we're still very understanding people if we've we've had people to get pro contracts Done. See you later. No issue whatsoever. We have people that lose their job. No worries. We have people that um, that moving cities or countries. Obviously, these are the type of big things that they they can't directly influence. That we're not suddenly going to send debt collectors around to their house to pay out six months worth when there's sure. clearly clearly things going on. Um, so anything like that that's that's yeah even remotely understandable, we're we're more than happy to to chat with them. Um, but if someone simply decides that oh it's just not for them anymore after signing a 12-month contract mm -hmm. they're committed to it so there's a number of ways there's a number of payout options that they can that carl goes through with them um but ultimately if they just refuse to pay then yeah they fall into our debt collection service which we use very infrequently thank god um because i don't really like the idea of it but uh but at the end of the day we we can't be investing all this time and money into athletes and then like i said it very rarely happens and then they just leave um, so yeah, so then that falls into the debt collection side. Totally understandable. And it's no wonder you guys have that culture and environment because everybody's bought into the commitment as that's made very clear with you guys. Um, the, one of the last things, I don't know how long we'll talk for, how much, how much time you're, you're busy motherfucker. Right. <laughs> and the one thing I remember is you haven't been able to jump on some of the group ones because you've been coaching, obviously. Yeah, um, yeah. How do you balance... Oh, something I asked Carl as well. How do you think about where you put your time with your family, with your business, with your personal leisure, just hobbies, whatever you like doing, and not feel like you're ever a slave to a system or a game that you're trying to play in life and the pursuit of whatever excellence you're trying to achieve? Um... I don't ever feel like I'm a slave, um, but I, I certainly, uh, I certainly don't. Like it's not ever really been a strong suit of mine, um, work-life balance. Um, and I probably think it's a, it's a bit of a myth because I, I don't think, I don't think you you will ever have a a consistent period where you're in work-life balance. For me, work-life balance is more of a an average that you look at the end of the year. 
Um, you know, at the moment, I'm certainly not in work-life balance for the next couple of days because we start our new training block um, next week. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of programming. I'm in front of computers, getting stuff set. Um, we're also got a few business things going on at the moment that are dragging a lot of time. So I naturally will be in that business mode. Um, but then you've got to look at it, as I said, from a, a more of a yearly average, do you make time to then shift that, that pendulum across to just the family side where you do close the computer for you know, days at a time where you actually go and do things where you don't think about work. And, and that is something with, that myself and Carl have been really trying to get better at. Um, I, I know my wife is always on me that, uh, that I've never got enough time. It's always, always work and work and work. Um, obviously, she's very understanding most of the time, but there's certainly times where she, she runs out of patience with it. But, um, but that's something for me to develop, and I'm happy to admit that I'm not great at it. Um, but there's little things where, for me, trying to find the time. So, for example, I try not to go into the facility on a Thursday. Uh, it's a very quiet day. <clears throat> um, I have my coaches there. I don't need to be there. Um, so I spend my Thursday trying to get all of my programming done for my athletes and get everything set and ready to go. Um, so on the weekend, I can actually maybe close the computer um, and spend some time with, with the wife. Now, this week, obviously, I can't do that with, with the new block starting. They're just what it is. Um, so I think people probably need to try and step back and say, okay, well, instead of trying to create this work-life balance where every day I do a little bit of this and this and there's this, this nice, perfect blend, mm. um, people got to accept that there's going to be blocks of time that are all work. Absolutely. And try and have blocks of time where it's all family have blocks of time where there's all hobbies and there's certainly going to be things you can trickle in amongst that um, that is a little bit more continuous so like for me to be honest you say hobbies I don't really have many hobbies to be honest I'm a bit boring like that but um but yeah for me it's been a real focus since coming back from COVID um, that I do train every day um, that's been a real big focus because that was always the first thing like if I if I had to set something up for an athlete or put something in for an athlete or do something for an athlete that I'd always just put my stuff to the side and make sure that was done ready to go um, so I've been really making a, a conscious effort to to just put that to the side for just an hour get my training done and then always just in my head go I'll find the time I'll do it but trying to make sure that I keep that going and um I've sort of been joking around a bit on social media that I am making a, a football comeback. So hopefully at the moment, that's something that I've been trying to have as a bit of a goal for me to keep me accountable. Um, so uh, I am going to try and play a bit of football next really? season. You're actually going to do it? 100% I am, yeah. yeah. So um, awesome. yeah, 30, 33, the old 13-year retirement, come out <laughs> and I'll see how it goes. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the goal at the moment. It at least gives me the threat of pre-season, me being the... Uh, the pasty bloke at the back of the pack. Uh, I want to make sure that that I at least can hold my own a little bit. So it puts a bit of pressure on me to, to make sure that I keep a little bit of training up. Nice. Um, and then obviously wanting to play, I obviously want the body to hold up and be ready to go. So things like that have been really good for me, just trying to set some more longer-term external goals that, that keep me accountable day to day. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I don't have an easy solution for people out there to do work-life balance because it's something I struggle with. Yeah. But it's something that I think the best way to look at it is you're always going to be swinging one way or the other. Um, it's not this perfect yeah. median uh, every single day of the week. Yeah, I think like it's like seasons: winter, summer, autumn, spring. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, swing around. Exactly right. Yeah. Each one has its own variances. Yeah. Um, yeah, agree. This uh, this comeback of yours, you're pretty much, I would assume, going through like a athletic development, really athletes authority style programming. Um, what are you feeling? How you? How's your body feeling? How's it? Yeah, daily good. training. 
surprisingly good. Um, I did. I went down um, on Friday night. One of my best mates is a track coach, and he runs a, a track and field team. So I went and did some speed work with them. And mate, to be honest, I felt really good at, at the time. Uh, geez, the next two days I was really <laughs> struggling. Um, it's been a while since I've put that type of pace behind me, but yeah. uh, it was good. Uh, it was really good. So it's it's been fantastic. I've, I've uh, one of my interns who's now turned uh, turned coach. Um, manages my my strength program nathan so he's been doing a great job of that um putting up with me skipping things here and there cutting things short keeping me accountable so it's been good um but uh but yeah no definitely trying to trying to do the old holistic holistic approach get out on the field three times a week get in the gym three times a week and and trickling a little bit of work in between when's the when when is the return to play what's the what's the month we're looking at pre-season uh starts uh, last week of november so i've got a three three or four weeks to get myself ready for pre-season uh then then pre-season goes through about march i think it is and then uh my uh my first child is due march one uh, so wow. i don't know how that's going to go down with with the wife at the moment so <laughs> maybe maybe missing a bit of football for that <laughs> you know what i guess we can make an exception yeah exactly. for the kid hey congratulations it's, it's man. Where it swings, yeah. <laughs> uh, i hope the i hope everything goes well there i didn't know that um, <laughs> Shout out, mate. thank you the last, one of the last things I wanted to ask you, you would have seen in the email, um, we talked about these foundational pillars for coaches mm. and I wondered that, all right, now for athletes and just uh, people who want to be total human high performers, what are these universal kind of principles and pillars that you believe in that people should do to optimize total human athletic performance? Oh, it's a pretty broad question, but like, it's very like realistically from a broad standpoint, it's very simple. You, sure. you, you got to make sure you know, sleep and nutrition, you two big ones, they're the ones that, that fuel everything. Um, if you're not sleeping well, you're not eating well, then you can't expect to, to, to perform at all. Um, the next evolution of that is you know, good aerobic capacity. There's, there's very few sports in this world that I think would not benefit from having a good aerobic base. Um, because for me, that is the the well of recovery. Being being able to to have a good aerobic capacity really does help you across pretty much all sports. Um, and then understanding from that what are going to be your weak links associated with your sport, um, because that's the area that builds your resilience. Um, knowing if you're a high speed sport that that hamstrings, calves, these type of things are going to be uh, a problem area because they're going to be exposed to a lot of load. Um, so understanding the importance of supplementing resilience work into programs uh, and then as a whole being strong and powerful it's it's one of the keys it's for me builds the structure foundation for, for everything you're going to be doing in most sports obviously there's always going to be exceptions but um, that that is a key and then the next level is going to be the mental game because that encompasses everything um, high performers whether they be an athletic high performance or a corporate high performance it doesn't matter um, the, the mental side of it, being able to problem solve, being able to think ahead, be able to think on your feet, um, being able to structure days, weeks where you have times, you have uh, tasks that are going to develop your mental skills, whether that be things like meditation, mental practice or anything like that, but also understanding how you can be the most effective with your time. Where We talked a little bit about systems today, but yeah. even little things around, you know, uh, to-dos, mapping out calendars, 
whether journaling helps you. These type of things is is so important from, from an athletic standpoint or a, or a day-to-day high performer, as you say, um, because they're the things that start to sharpen the swords. They're the things that make sure that you're always on top of your game, your attention to details there. Um, I live from my to-do list and my calendar. And if it wasn't, it's I'll be, I'll be absolutely chaos. shattered. As soon as something happens, I, I write it in there straight away, organize it later. But um, if I don't have that there, you know, it's, and some people come from the age of, oh, you know, if you rely on your to-do list, then you don't use your memory and stuff like that. Quite frankly, it's, if I ride on my memory for the amount of things that I get, to, like if you're on the gym floor, you got three or four different athletes tell you three or four different things that you got to remember. You got, I got to put it away. Is people say things in meetings, and you go like, if you don't have a central place, um, and I'm a big believer in getting things out of my head because when things, when I feel like I have things in my head, I always feel like there's something I need to do or something I've forgotten. Um, the more I can get it out of my head and into my, uh, yeah, whether it's on paper for me or my phones, everything to me, um, it's it goes into that app um, to be able to store and I know it's out of my head and I don't need to to worry or get that feeling of I haven't done something. So um, there's a fairly broad answer, I know, but no, it's I hope okay. that helps, yeah. What, what do you think? Okay, let's get more specific to finish. What is the thing people you think do the worst consistently and how can you? How do you think they can address it? The worst consistently, I reckon. Uh, there's a great proverb that says the palest ink is better than the best memory. Um, and for my mind, I think that's probably what people do the worst is they firmly believe that they will remember things um, when, in realistic terms, they probably won't. Whether that's um, not writing notes for something because oh, yeah, I'll remember that or not putting it to do down when they think about it because they think they'll remember it. Things like that, I, I think is probably from a broad term is, is a, a big weakness that I see with a lot of people. Um, again, going the opposite of when people say use your brain or you lose it. I'm probably a big believer that to be honest, if, if you rely on your brain, to remember everything that goes on, especially in a dynamic environment, like if you're not doing anything during the day, you're going to be okay. But if you're a young strength vision coach and you're most likely working three different jobs with a plethora of different athletes, general pop teams, coaches, other trainers, education, all these types of things, to be able to have a well laid out system of to-dos, calendar and recording of notes, I think is probably a, a big key area that people just need to nail and if that changes like i used to change the way i kept notes and things all the time that doesn't matter you'll evolve you'll change things will work better for you in different environments um but yeah if you don't have something i i, I definitely think you'll start to lose track of things come undone and there's nothing more that i hate than when an athlete is on a floor and comes up to me and says something about oh someone didn't put this in or this is missing or i remember i told so and so about this and it's not in there I hate it. It's, it irks me inside. And for me, it's an embarrassment. Um, and that's something that I hate to, and I've been there. I've, I've fucked yeah. up as well. I've done it. Everyone's yeah, done it, yeah, yeah. but that's the feeling that I, I hate having that feeling. So for me, that's, it's just a big thing to be, be accountable and have that attention to detail. And, and to do that, you probably need to work out what works best for you. That's definitely something we have in common. Um, because memory is, uh, the brain is, it's, it's a, it's a flawed, uh, organ right it's we can't remember everything and it's it's i think i'm a voracious note taker and I, I i love taking notes but you know through this conversation 
you know, if I didn't, like you said many things, and I've been jotting down, okay, I have that, I want to talk about that. If I didn't do that, then I wouldn't be able to circle back to half the things we talked about because you've said so many interesting things. So <laughs> I want to second what you're saying because it facilitated this conversation. I agree, 100%. So, Lachlan Wilmot, is there anything else on your brain that you want to get out? Wow, what a question. Um, <laughs> like you said before, like you don't want to let things build up. Is there anything else that you want to leave people with? Anything you want to talk about that maybe we haven't or publicly? No, to be honest, there's probably nothing I want to talk about. Certainly for any, anyone that's listening that's uh, that's in Melbourne at the moment with everything opening back up, um, obviously send send my love and best to, to everything starting to fire up and, and I hope that um, that everyone comes back with as much fire and uh and and passion as our athletes came back with um and i'm sure i'm sure it'll it'll breed out quickly but um yeah it's for for our industry i think the next two years are going to be a a very interesting two years of evolution from the pro sector that's already had a huge change and and coaches have already stepped away or lost their jobs already um so i think it's going to be a very interesting two years for the private sector and how they they handle that and and also very interesting to see how all the new the new instagram content producers will go because uh there's certainly been a huge influx of uh coaches jump on the old uh instagram i didn't haven't uh, haven't noticed uh, uh, attention there's certainly a lot of content now going out which is great helps everyone but um but i sense there's something inside you that's tell us how you really feel (laughs) no i think that's that i think it's fantastic it's just as I said, I think I said it before in some other one of one of the other chats that there's have it's yeah, there's even there may be people that have been on there that have a little tongue in cheek joke about uh, about coaches that do posting on post things on Instagram and now suddenly they're posting things on Instagram and I think it's great. I think it's a it's a great way to to connect and to put uh, to put. Um, content out there providing you don't get caught up in the swell that is social media but um i think everyone with COVID has realized holy crap i I probably can't rely on my my current job and um suddenly they're looking at that that plan b or side hustle as some people call it um so it is it has been interesting to see the uh the shift hold on you said something okay you said something interesting i just wanted to that i just need to talk about two years the interesting next two years you're very experienced you've seen a lot what do you think we're going to see, I know you said shift from pro to private, but mm. if you were like Nostradamus making some predictions, what would you prepare us health professionals for over the next two years of changes? Um, I would suggest one, there's, there's certainly going to be, um, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't want to predict it, but there's, there's certainly going to be a thinning of coaches within the professional sector um, and a, a professional, yeah, professional sector. Um, and I, I personally believe that's going to come a detriment to the to the athletes um so from an injury standpoint i think potentially you're probably going to see some increase in injuries and probably going to see increase in time out due to injury and potentially um reoccurrence start to go up um simply because uh, the it's just very hard to handle such large lists with such small departments um i then think you'll start to see uh the private sector flourish a little bit with some real senior coaches that probably step into some private uh, scenarios, um, which whether that be current facilities um, acquiring higher level coaches than they probably usually would have, or new facilities starting up um, with coaches looking at opportunities to build out some private sector work. Um, I think there's probably going to be more pressure on Cert 3, Cert 4 coaches um, where the, the 
the desire to be a high quality coach is there now. Your um, AIF couple of week course is not going to stand up um, to a lot of the coaches that are now coming back into the private sector. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. As I said, really none of that could happen. I could just be be spitballing stuff, but I certainly think there will be a bit of a shift around. I've already seen, you know, we brought on a guy called Tom Watkins um, who was over at F- uh, Rugby Fiji and with COVID, uh, they had to shut everything down there. So he came back to Sydney and he's come on board with us. So we've got a great high quality coach that otherwise would have been in Fiji working with the, the rugby league team there. So there's just one example of us going board. You know, it's, um, a number of other people I know have brought on um, professional coaches to work in schools or stuff like that, simply because they, you know, Nathan Parnham's another example. He was from Rugby Sevens, um, worked with me at Parramatta. Um, he's now at St. Augustine's uh, heading up their SNC program. And you know, he's, he's, he was at Newington before that. So he's got a phenomenal expertise around the, the high school um, uh, area. But um, I think St. Augustine's have, have got the coup of the year to get someone with that experience to, to come in and, and reshape their program. Um, so, again, they're just little examples of where, where these real senior experienced yeah. coaches um, are moving into roles that, uh, that otherwise maybe wouldn't have gotten them um, if, if the professional setting was flourishing uh, yeah. like it probably was a couple of years ago. So what are you most excited for for Athletes Authority in the next year? The releasing projects that you're excited for that you want to, you know, tell us, tell me about. No one's watching. Tell you about. Oh, probably nothing I want to tell you about. But uh, no, we've got some exciting things on the horizon. Two two major ones that next year that we're we're looking at pushing out is uh, um, I'll be running once COVID starts to allow us to get face to face again. But we'll be putting together a bit of a performance certification, um, so a bit of a, a mentorship uh, that I'll be running plus a bit of a certification within that, um, which will be really good. And also looking at a, a physiotherapy or a performance physio certification, so um, which will be targeted at physios, upskilling them to a level where, where our physios are, where they coach on the gym floor, their, their understanding of all sets of reps, exercises, progression systems, um, because I think that's the, the way forward for physiotherapy as well, because uh, a lot of people are starting to realise that you can't just have someone on the plinth and, and that's it. They understand that, that they've got to get them strong, they've got to get them moving and mobile and stuff like that. Absolutely. Lachlan Wilmot, I could ask 100 more questions because you're a very experienced man, but I think we'll end it there. Thank you very much for taking the time, man. Um, I hope we can do this one day in person, whether I'm where you are or you're in, you guys are in Melbourne. Um, otherwise... Any last thoughts or just where you want to point people and where they can find you? No, I appreciate it, mate. Really, uh, really love to have being on. And I said thanks for taking the time to do all of these as well. They've been fantastic. So um, hopefully they continue even outside of COVID when we can uh, keep pushing content out. And like you said, man, in person be fantastic. So hopefully we can do that soon. Um, Other than that, mate, yeah, if people want to reach out, like I said, it's especially people in Melbourne that maybe are struggling with some reopenings or, or want any information uh, between myself and Carl, feel free to, to hit me up. Um, uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty slow on Instagram. If if I if you pop into my message requests, I don't see uh, see you for a long time. So, but I do a try. Um, so usually, probably if you feel free to fire me an email if there's anything of, of pressing that you want to chat about. But um, that's uh, Lachlan.Wilmot at AthletesAuthority.com.au. So um, feel free. I'm happy to help out where I can. Good man, Lachlan Wilmot. I'll see you when I see you. <laughs> Thank you, Legend. Speak soon. All right. See you, brother. Say my.
Lachlan Wilmot, ladies and gentlemen, the co-owner of Athletes Authority. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Um, first time doing a one-on-one with him. He's been on many of our previous podcasts with the Coaches Roundtable Orphic Podcast. If you guys want to hear more of him, you can there. We've had talked to him multiple times in a group. Otherwise, I hope you guys enjoyed that. We talked systems, business, communication, um, conflict resolution, programming, notes, how the systems that they've created and he's created for himself in order to make decisions quicker. Something that I keep seeing consistently through every person I talk to on, on the Orphic podcast and my own personal podcast is this common theme. And I think something very valuable to take away. And I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I'm Alexander Emmanuel Sandalis. You can find me on the internet. You can find Orphic Education, obviously, everywhere. YouTube, all podcast platforms these are on. So you guys can watch them later. And we're going to keep doing these for until I keep breathing air. So enjoy, guys. Any requests, any people you want to see on, let us know. Or if you want to do a certificate three and four in fitness and you actually want to separate yourself with, you know, one of the highest quality cert three fours in fitness in Australia, in my, our subjective opinion, and you're committed to the idea of being a great coach and just, just something great and not just average and investing in a future career, we might be a good fit for you. Let us know. You guys can contact us. Otherwise, we're going to keep pumping out the best free content by any provider that we've seen in this country regardless. So I hope you guys really enjoy these and take value from them. I'm very grateful to do them. Thank you, and I'll see you all next week.